You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Katie Wells to the show. Katie is a declutter expert and host of a top 50 podcast called The Maximized Minimalist. I invited Katie to come on the show today to talk about all things mess and clutter. If you've followed me for a while, you'll know that I discuss mess often. Mess as it relates to our mental health and motherhood and how it can often be a trigger for rage and rage cleaning. Mess is just such a big topic when it comes to motherhood. And man alive, can I relate as a mom of three little humans who are slowly but surely learning to help chip in and clean up after themselves. So we've got Katie with us today to talk about and better understand clutter. Why does it happen? What areas does it form in? And what are some of the solutions for these trouble areas like my front entryway that's full of school items right now? I'm so glad that Katie was here to have this conversation because her approach to tidying your home is all about ease and less about it being this curated, beautiful, you know, Pinterest-worthy experience, but about the function and what works for you realistically and practically. You are going to love this episode. Let's hear my conversation with Katie. Have you ever bought into the myth Once I find the perfect bins, the right shelves, color code and label everything, it will solve this constant mess? I totally did. I watched the home edit on Netflix, then went and got all the clear bins and organized all the things. Just for the clutter to still make it on top of my countertops and for everything to be thrown all over the front entryway. The thing is, most people think that mess is an organizational issue. But the truth is, it's more often a clutter issue. Simply put, there's just too much to organize. It's not a deficit in you if these organizational strategies have failed you in the past. While they can be helpful, they aren't the end-all, be-all. I've been learning so much from my friend Katie Joy Wells, who happens to be my go-to declutter expert. And one thing that's made a huge difference in my home and stress levels was to shift my focus to letting go of excess first, then organize later. I am so excited to team up with Katie and offer you her course, The Toy Clutter Cure. Her practical step-by-step solution to solving toy mess has served over 5,000 families to help them banish toy clutter, reduce their stress and mess, and have an overall happier home. Rage clean free. To learn more about Katie's course, head to happyasamother.co slash clutter. That's happyasamother.co slash clutter. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. 
Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Katie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today to talk about such a huge topic that moms wrestle with. So thank you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about all things clutter because I geek out over this stuff. And let's start like 2022 off on an amazing foot. So let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking as we're even preparing for a clutter episode, the like weird transition in like holiday stuff my home is going through and like the bins that are everywhere. So I feel like this is going to be really timely and helpful for people. But before we jump right into it, I'm so curious, how did you become so passionate about helping people organize their homes and manage their clutter? It took hitting rock bottom for me. You know, I I know a lot of your listeners are moms. And in 2015, I became a new mom. I was running multiple businesses, stretched beyond means. And I know so many of your listeners can relate. Whether you're at home or working, I feel like I don't know. We're just so stretched beyond our means. And uh, I just remember coming home from work and being so excited to see my baby. His name's River. And oh, so cute. (laughs) Well, River. And then over time, I just started to feel this anxiety in the car ride, the 15 minute car ride on my way home, like this. And I started to get panic attacks. And one day, I literally, Erica, sat in my garage in my car after I got home from work and I was like, what's happening? Like I, I was frozen. I couldn't get out. And, mm. you know, 20 hindsight 2020, you know, this is just resulting from anxiety. And it was because I, my body recognized the amount of stress that my home caused me. So instead of walking through my door and getting down on the floor with my baby and playing with him and building blocks, I knew there was 395 chores I needed to do laundry I was backed up on, stuff on the kitchen counters that would take me 30 minutes to clear off just so I could make a meal, scramble a meal together, you know, and all these responsibilities. And my home was not a refuge in the storm of life. It just created so much more chaos. And I realized that, but I didn't make any change because I didn't have the right tools in my toolbox to do that. And like a lot of people, I was desperate. And I think this is when Marie Kondo's very famous book came out, Um, the life-changing magic of tidying up. So I got it on Amazon. I read it, said, this makes so much sense and did my closet. I don't know if you've seen the method, but basically she encourages you to go throughout your home, gather all of one particular category. So clothing, for example, put it all in one big pile and go through it and, you know, ask yourself, does this spark joy? And so I did my closet. It took me about six or seven hours. I did it with my kids next to me because I didn't have childcare when I was home. Um, I cried multiple times. I didn't feel like confident in what I was doing. And I said, I can never do this again. (laughs) You know, this is not feasible for a parent. And it's actually interesting because she's come out with interviews since then. She wrote that book pre-kids. Now she's got two young girls. And she said, And I quote in an interview, she said, I don't have a lot of the energy to follow through with a lot of the, you know, methods and things that I've 
you know, encourage people to do now that I have kids. And that was so validating for me. I was like, I'm not the only one who struggled with this. Right. Even the creator of the method was like, wait a minute, this is unrealistic. Yeah. And I know, I know it works for, you know, thousands and millions of people. You know, that book is really amazing and it still has a lot of just great information in it. But, you know, ultimately within, like I said, weeks, I said, I can't do this anymore. This isn't sustainable. And that book became Clutter, ironically. And then about a year later, we got in a car accident, me and my family, and I almost lost my husband. And oh my goodness. I remember being in the hospital. We weren't sure if he was going to survive. It was just, you know, the rock bottom of my already rock bottom as a mom emotionally. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to leave this hospital a widow. And it was the worst thing. And I remember within a few hours, we knew he was going to be okay. He needed surgery. No, he wasn't going to be paralyzed. He was going to survive. And coming home that night, my friends brought me home. And I was one of those people that looked completely put together. Like I think a lot of us mom, we just want to look together. We want to show our friends, like put a smile on, show our friends and family, like, you know, we're getting through our day, but inside it's chaos. Hmm. And this was a big turning point for me because my girlfriends brought me home and I walked in my front door and Erica, there was just clutter and mess everywhere. Do you know how like when your friend's coming over and you're like, all right, I'm going to scramble for 10, 15 minutes and knock this out, right? It like gives you the motivation. I didn't have that time. And in that moment, I saw not only what my home was, you know, like it was chaos. And that was a reflection of what was happening inside me all of those years, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. All that procrastination, all that resent, all these crazy emotions that we go through as caregivers and parents and just going through life. And I remember I was so ashamed. Clutter shame is something that really resonates with people I speak with. And and I was just like, oh my gosh, they're seeing not only my home for what it is, but me. Like this is Mm -hmm. the real me. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And we spent half hour, so an hour and a half collectively, no one said a word, you know, scraping rice off the floor from dinner two nights ago and putting food away and the stuff everywhere, toys, explosion. And I thought, one, I will never let this happen again. Mm. And two, now that I know my husband is going to survive this terribly tragic accident, I need to be there to support him and be there for my kids in the best way possible. And all of this clutter and all of this mess is exactly what's preventing me from doing that. And Mm. that was really the line in the sand where I said, I don't care what I need to do or how I need to figure this out to make it work for me. I'm not going to throw out excuses that I'm too busy. Everyone's busy. (laughs) I'm not going to throw out excuses about my kids and whatever. It doesn't matter. I needed to figure a way out. And that was really the biggest turning point for me. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I just developed a lot of things over time that worked for me, started teaching people here in town and then, you know, started my podcast and online programs. And here we are. That story is so touching. And so like, my platform also came out of this rock bottom. Like I talk about it in the interview with my husband for the 100th episode where like the world just sort of stopped on its axis for a moment. It's like one of those, like this changes everything kind of moments. And some of the most passionate and change makers, I guess, come from utilizing that pain in their life and like really making sincere meaning out of it. Mm. So I'm really excited for us to 
unpack some of the things that you learned because you you said like I didn't have the skills, yeah. right? And as somebody who has, you know, some mild to moderate ADHD and has had postpartum depression and anxiety, I feel like mess and clutter is very closely linked to and tied to the ebbs and flows we go through with our mental health, mm-hmm. right? Because if I think about and reflect on my experience with postpartum depression, for example, getting up and even making food to feed myself felt like too much work. And there was such little motivation to even do basic hygiene-related things or, you know, like essential care tasks and things. So when we lose motivation or we go through a rut or we're adjusting in motherhood as a first-time mom with maybe anxiety or all these things going on, things do start to feel out of control and chaotic and our house might start to get really messy. And the reality for me was that I didn't really have the skills. I did a lot of observing my mom rage cleaning <laughs> growing up, right? Like, yes, why is yes. this mess everywhere? Like, slamming <laughs> things around. And like, but that didn't necessarily teach me how to maintain my own systems. So I would love for us to, and what we're going to get into today is like practically, like, how do we deal with this mess and clutter? Where do we even start, I suppose? I... Totally agree. I'm here to say like my boys are now five and six and I was able to figure this out and make it work when they were very young, but it's harder. So I just want to let everyone know out there, like there are so many difficult phases, no matter how old or young your kids are in motherhood. So, you know, I just really want the lens of your listeners listening to be through grace. We all need to give ourselves more grace and, you know, the judgment that we pass on ourselves you know, when it comes to mess or clutter and why we have it to begin with, you know, if we can shift that and reframe that and look through a lens of curiosity and objection. Like I tell my students, one of the most beneficial things I ever did was look at my home as though I were a stranger or a guest in my house and go, oh, this is interesting. My entryway is really cluttered. There are 89 shoes here. you know, and too many coats. And this is a pain point. Oh, that's interesting. Right. And just write out these pain points throughout right. your house and then almost reverse engineer being able to solve them versus looking at the 89 pairs of shoes and going, if only my husband would put his shoes away, if only yeah. my kids didn't do this, if you know, and because that's an easy narrative to stick to like the blaming others or blaming yourself. And I'm not saying like I'm an advocate for family helping and managing their own stuff. Mm. Like I teach my kids all the time and I'm showing them and modeling. Here's where your shoes go. Here's where our coats go. Here's the benefit to you for having a tidy house. It's not all about mom and dad. It's not all about us. This is a benefit for you because all of us want to know like what's in it for me, right? And so I, I know I'm kind of digressing here, but a common question I get is like, how do I help get my family on board with not only decluttering, but like managing their stuff? Like maintaining that once it's set. Like I can yes. go through and put a system in place and I love a good yes. day where I like organize the pantry <laughs> or whatever, right? It's the like maintaining of the system. If I'm the only one on board with the system or it only works for me, then it's not helpful. Then it relies solely upon me. 
It's so true. And that's where, you know, making it easy for them to do what you want them to do. So let's go back to the shoe example. I mean, if there's 89 pairs of shoes, okay, maybe that's a little excessive. Maybe there's 30 pairs of shoes in your entryway, right? And you're tripping over them and your kid can't find their shoes in the morning. It just makes it difficult. It makes it difficult for them to find a place to put their shoes (laughs) where they'll fit and maybe hang their coat. So, you know, making things at their height is something super basic, like lowering hooks for backpacks, lunch boxes, mm. um, things like that. Just making it easy for them to do what you want them to do and just clearly and consistently reminding them and then celebrating mm-hmm. when they do do something you want them to follow through with. Oh, River, oh, you put your shoes away. That is so helpful, right? And just I'm constantly giving them that because it's so right, easy for right. us to, first of all, feel like it's mom versus everyone else yeah. when it comes to stuff. Why am I the only one? Why am I the only one that sees the clutter? Why does it all fall on yeah. me? I felt that so much and I had so much resentment toward like my little babies. <laughs> <laughs> and they, it's not their fault, you know? And so yeah. when, just by doing those things and making just simple tweaks and habits, it makes a big difference in being able to model them that. And again, what's in it for them? And explaining that to my husband too, like what's in it for him? He had too many clothes, (laughs) (laughs) you know, those ratty t-shirts from college and just so much. And it's easy for us to go, oh, it's just my family. It's just my family's stuff. But once I realized, hey, listen, I should probably get rid of my own, you know, extra clothes model that and show, you know, my husband knew I meant business when I was getting rid of my clothes. And he's like, oh man, you are serious now. Like you're not just nagging me about getting rid of my stuff. You're serious now. So funny. You're talking about the front entryway and it makes me wonder, like there must be common areas of homes. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. especially for moms or generally speaking, that become these sort of like challenging or problem areas. Because I'm like, I'm thinking about the front entryway, the backpack, the shoes, the coats. We're in winter, the mittens, the hats, the all the things. Mm -hmm. Our countertops are another big one. Play spaces, toys, Monica closets. Have you seen the show Friends or do you know that reference? I don't know that reference. Oh, you have to do it. We we need to do a collaborative post on this then. (laughs) Oh, really? So Monica, you've seen the show Friends from yes, the 90s. Of okay. So Monica's character, obviously, you've only need to sh- see the show once to know she's like very type A, perfectionist. Everything has a place in her home. And in one episode, she opens this door and it leads to a closet that literally, it looks like a yard sale in there. Like stuff's piled up. Uh, there's random junk. And it's just the spot that she like throws everything. Like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, just toss it in there. That's this whole big thing. So, you know, clutter... It's so different for so many people, but yeah, we hit the main ones like entryway, any space that can hold a lot, garages. I mean, most people, I forget the stat, most people who have garages can't fit their cars in them. And that was me too. Like we had a two car garage. We couldn't fit either of our cars in there. Right. So anything that just kind of lends itself to being filled up (laughs) and can become that Monica closet. I mean, guest bedrooms are really big one because- they're not used a lot in a lot of homes. And so it becomes that Monica closet, like, I'll just toss this in here and shut the door. And then we forget about it. And then more and more gets added to it. Right. So we just moved into a new house and we don't have a dining room table and stuff yet. So it's like an empty dining room space that holds all the random things right now, you know, 
it makes me think about how, and that's visible. We walk by it every day and it's got a few items in it, but it makes me think about at our previous house, we had a storage room where it was just sort of like the catch-all, right? Like it just, Mm -hmm. everything just like, if there's no space for it, we'd want it at a site, put it in the storage room. And I would explain to my husband, like, I know that we can't see it, but I know that it's there. And it just like, calls my name mm-hmm. when I'm wanting like quiet space that this thing is unsettled in the home or all this constant to-do list of needing to do things. And part of that is, you know, we have to build a tolerance and just allow ourselves to rest and we have to learn to rest because none of the things will always be complete around us. So there's a piece of that, mm-hmm. but then there's also this like we could have more effective systems in place so that there are not toys all over my living room when I want to sit down or those types of things. And you hit a big point there is that clutter signals to our brain that there's more to be done, Mm. whether we see the clutter or not. Just like you said, it's like that nagging voice. I felt this a lot when I was trying to be present with River and my home was filled with clutter. And then I had Levi, my second, like, I'm just trying to play with them. And this nagging voice in my head, you should really get to those dirty dishes. Uh, Why don't you just try and get him to play independently and go do something, right? There's more to be done. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are so many studies that show like not only do we pay for our stuff with our money, obviously, when we purchase it, but with our time, our mental headspace, our the emotional price, right? That resentment, that clutter shame, that guilt, just the pain of having all of this mess, you know, screaming at us. And it creates this kind of low simmering agitation that would just follow me throughout my day and make Mm. me more likely to get triggered. You know, and I know that's a big buzzword right now, but I think it represents a lot of motherhood in some ways, you know, like there's a lot of getting triggered and being able to get curious about those triggers and see how you can solve them. Yeah. One of your posts was so interesting. It talked about some of the like behaviors around why clutter builds up. Like for example, you're leaving something on the counter because it's important and you don't want to forget it. Mm-hmm. Right. So are there some of these like reasons why things start to build up that you've come across working with clients? Yeah. Visual cues is a big one. Let's just say like supplements and vitamins or medication, right? Like leaving those on the counter. And then there's also a law that stuff attracts stuff, clutter attracts clutter. So it's interesting. Like I want you to like do this experiment at home, you and your listeners, like completely clear if you have like an island or a small part of your counter, a kitchen table, wherever stuff tends to like get put, clear it off, put like one thing, like a sippy cup or water bottle. And if you're at home throughout the day, I guarantee your family members will start to put stuff right next to it. And within half hour or the end of the day, there's a big pile of like random stuff that just simply, it, it doesn't belong. So if you are someone who needs visual cues, like you could do, I mean, even going to like an alarm clock, Mm. And that's something I did for my vitamins because it's hard to remember to take them if you don't have a visual cue. Again, Mm. there's no issues. Like if you're noticing like, hey, I have supplements on the counter, but they're, you know, it's a non-issue. They're not attracting other stuff. Another big reason that, again, it's just this lack of tools, lack of systems, lack of consistency and lack of habits that tend to just accumulate over time, right? It's not an overnight thing. A lot of us are looking when we're looking at clutter at like a lifetime's worth of stuff 
or, you know, the root of clutter for some, it was for me, was impulse shopping. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can declutter as much as we want, but if we never work on a relationship with stuff and the meaning we assign stuff and the inflow of stuff, then it's always going to be this revolving door and it's always going to take time and energy more than probably we'd like to. So just super simple things I learned early on in the process that really helped me both fix it and realize why the clutter was there is setting a physical limitation to different categories in your home. So let's just talk about toys, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of us have kids and our kids, we love them. And maybe our family just showered them with gifts and we're like, oh my gosh, this is my stress levels are so much stuff. Crazy, so much stuff. And um, so what I did early on when I was looking objectively at my play space and toys, and we don't have a playroom, we never have, we just had a little cubby, six cube cubby, you know, in the living space right next to the kitchen so I could see the kids, they'd be around. And, and I noticed over time that literally the toys were spilling all throughout my living room and all into my kitchen. And so what I did is I said, okay, I'm committing to just toys that fit in this little corner of the living room and this six cube cubby. And that was it. So I set a Mm -hmm. physical limitation that felt reasonable to me. I could change it over time. It didn't feel so inflexible. And that's what I commit to. And so as soon as Christmases, birthdays, anything rolled around and I noticed that the cubbies were filling up or that that little nook in the living room was filling up, that was my cue. Hey, I need to do some editing. It wasn't my cue to go purchase another six cube cubby, go get a label maker, go get more cute bins from Target, which I Mm. tried to do in the past to solve my clutter problems. Doesn't work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, sorry, not sorry. It was my cue to let go to edit. And so I did this through every space in my home. And it's not something people are taught, right? We try to outwit that system by getting new bins and It's just, it adds more fuel to the fire. So that was a really, really big one. It's just setting that physical limitation for, especially for the pain points. And so for Mm -hmm. the entryway, so we have a really small entryway, Erica. It's like, it's like three feet by, I don't know. It's like super small. Mm. And so we have four people in my family. I bought a little shoe bench that fits in there so we could sit and it holds eight pairs of shoes. Now we have more than eight pairs of shoes between the four of us. So Everyone gets two pairs of shoes that get to go in the shoe bench in the entryway. The rest of the shoes stay in their closets, stay in our closets, right? So that's setting a reasonable physical limitation, not necessarily to all the shoes, but to what you want in that particular area. And that's where things like toy rotation can come in handy and just, you know, different spaces like that. It was such a powerful realization for me when I suddenly started to like get that I could set the limitation before the stuff came in my house. Mm. I can say, oh, thanks. The kids are like, we're not doing toys for birthday. We're doing experiences or something that like freaking McDonald's Happy Meals toys. I swear to God, when I started editing and like tidying things out, I had like a ridiculous amount of nonsense toys that were never touched that could be donated or recycled or whatever. And it was just, this was the stuff I was tripping over, you know, like in would end up tossed out of the bin onto the floor while actually looking for something that they wanted to play with and then just sort of took up space. That's right. And so when I realized, hey, 
I can control what comes into the home and what I want to allow in so that I don't have to be the manager of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe my kids aren't old enough to be the manager of their own item. And so therefore it would fall on me or my husband or whatever. It was a really empowering feeling and it definitely changed how I viewed shopping and yes. and like you said, my relationship with stuff. And one thing that took me a while to realize was, again, years before I truly made change and began to declutter, I knew that stuff and mess and clutter, whatever you want to call it, was impacting my mental headspace. It was creating additional anxiety. It was creating more depression. Like I recognize that, but I never put two and two together and thought that that could also be impacting my kids, Hmm. right? And so just like studies show that stress increases your levels of cortisol, right, which is your stress hormone, it signals to your brain there's more to be done, like we talked about earlier. I mean, it can raise your blood pressure (laughs) just being in a cluttered home, whether it's your home or your friend's home can raise your blood pressure when you walk in. That's why people tell me, oh my gosh, now that I've simplified my house, if I go to my friends, which is crazy messy, like I literally feel uncomfortable. Like I get like a rash. <laughs> like I've mm-hmm. had people tell me they like just start to really notice the nuance that how it makes them feel. Mm-hmm. And so even toys, I know they're supposed to bring joy and we want our kids to have these amazing childhoods or maybe you didn't grow up with a lot of toys. So you want to give all the toys in the world to your kiddos, I just, I had to completely reframe that and go, you know what, if less is more, if that's true, then it's true for me and my kids. And I'm telling you their play after minimizing their toys went so different. Like they're so much more imaginative. They play more independently, right? I don't know if your listeners can relate, but I remember like the toy space was bursting at the seams. Like I said, the living room, and it was like, they dump play it for two minutes, pick a toy, dump more and leave it there. And then they'd be like, mom, I'm bored. Mm -hmm. And we're like, are you kidding me? Like our inner narrative is like, are you kidding me? I just dropped X amount of dollars on this or it was just Christmas. These are all new toys and you're already bored. It's really frustrating. Right. (laughs) And so not only are there amazing benefits for the parents to minimize things and toys, but for the kids as well. And so I just want to encourage your listeners out there that even if it's maybe not decluttering, And going from 200 toys to five, which could feel extreme, maybe it's going from 200 to 100 and then putting 50 of those in toy rotation. Yeah. Yeah. I have an episode on independent play with, she was South Bay Mommy and me, and now she's Conscious Mommy, I believe, Brianna. Yes. And Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about like toy rotation and limiting the amount of toys in the space so that kids can, you know, see the item and explore it and interact with it differently. And it's so true. Kind of like the quality of toys or like toys that do all the work for your child versus toys that don't. And we explore a bunch of those. So if you're curious or you can check out Brianna, but I agree with you. And as we're talking, like, I can't help but think like, this is a boundaries issue. I say issue, but like, Mm. it's not, it's like a, so many of us, myself included, grow up in families that lack healthy boundaries in one way or another, right? Yeah. Whether it's with food, whether it's like within our family dynamic, whether it's with stuff or whatever, and learning that we can have boundaries with things and it actually feels good to contain the amount that's in our home and to have a healthy boundary with stuff feels really like empowering and feels really calming and soothing as we're talking about it. It just feels 
more in control. Yes. And especially when we're in times of a pandemic and times, you know, if we're going through other things in our life, like I have this post, it went really like had a lot of reach where I talk about like suddenly when when something goes wrong, our tolerance for mess is gone. So what clutter we may have been able to tolerate now when we are upset or going through something is mm-hmm. that mess is unbearable because when we go through things, there is a sense of feeling out of control. And then now we walk into a space that feels out of control and there's just no order and no structure anywhere we look, Right. And that just feels so anxiety-provoking. It feels so out of control. And really, what brings us back to feeling grounded and brings us back to safety is having healthy boundaries in place, whether that's with people and that's why we feel out of control, whether that's with our stuff, whether that's with food or whatever it is. And sometimes that's kind of like physical containment and boundaries. So when we're talking about like countertops, okay, It is a full-time job for me, Katie, a full-time job to keep up with the forms and papers that come home from school. (laughs) Just like, why do I need to quit my job in order to just manage this? (laughs) I don't understand. But a really simple solution that maybe isn't the most refined, but it works a lot better than what we were doing before is I just have this like clear on top of your desk file folder holder thing from Amazon. It was like super cheap. And Anything school paper, when it comes home, just goes in this clear bin that sits on the counter. And it's in a bin and it has a place and it's not sprawled out all over like our island area. Yes. And then I can see the counter because it's not just like kids stuff everywhere. And I know when it comes in and they dump it all there, it just goes there. And it's just a really simple Mm -hmm. solution. It's a simple thing to do. I would call that like a physical boundary containment. Like I put it somewhere and it has a place. That's right. And then when, you know, your kids are older, if this is something you want to do, another option would be kind of what I mentioned earlier on, like delegating that to your kids. So what I've done is they are responsible. They have a little homework folder with all their announcements from school that they bring in their backpack, they hang it on the hook, they open it up, they pull out the folder and they put that in a little folder bin. And then I go through it. And that's when I immediately do what I want with artwork So take pictures or recycle. I take the announcements. And remember, I would say 80 to 85% of the paperwork that comes into our house, maybe more, is only meant to be, we don't need to keep it forever, right? It's just temporarily like announcements or whatever. I have all that in place now and it makes it so easy. But I've found, even though my kids aren't perfect and neither am I at following through with some of these things, it's really helped give them awareness and responsibility. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And I think that one of the things I really appreciate about your message as well is like, we're not going to do this perfectly, right? Like there's going to be days when maybe I get a little bit behind and paperwork does build up on the counter Mm -hmm. because we went to skating and then we went to three back-to-back birthday parties and then life happened And we're living life. Like, that's great that life happened, right? Yeah. But then we have a pattern, and I'm not sure how you guys approach this, but we have a – as a family, we all do like a family tidy on the weekends. We call it like a house reset Mm because inevitably there are things that we don't keep up with in the week that need like a reset. And everybody chips in in that time, and we usually make it like a little dance party, and there's some music, and it's for 15 minutes or whatever the time is, and everyone contributes to this reset because – 
we're now at that threshold where, okay, you know, everything needs to go back in its place. This is not, this is becoming too much now. I love that. I love that. And like you said, making it fun, putting on fun music. I've had lots of students be like, you know, I would come into the play space, see it looked like a bomb went off and then tell the kids like, don't come out until this is cleaned up. So they're looking at Legos everywhere. They're overwhelmed. Mom comes back and it's not, they haven't touched anything. And so even things, obviously besides reducing the volume of things available for them to play with, like a visual clock can be so helpful Mm -hmm. for for young kids with no concept of time work. Have you seen those where it's like a red kind of block and then it starts shrinking and like that really helped my kids too. Because if it's like, I don't know how long this is going to take. This is going to, this feels like forever. This could be, I could be an adult by the time I get this cleaned up. I remember thinking like that when I was a kid, totally. like, oh my gosh, yeah. totally. <laughs> I'm going to be an old grandma by the time I get this playroom picked up, you know? Yeah, like look at all this Lego. This is impossible, right? It's impossible. And so once again, these different aha moments I've had throughout the years is cutting back on that perfection. And this idea of it's kind of all or nothing. You know, I'm either living in filth <laughs> or it's a perfectly tidy home 24-7. Totally. It's like, no. So my slogan is like, I strive for a good enough home, mm-hmm. right? Like my home, once I really thoughtfully wrote out and considered like, what is the purpose of my home? What do I value? Like, what are my core values? What are our family's values? I want my home to feel like a refuge in the storm. And I'm so grateful that that was an opportunity and possibility for me during COVID because I know that wasn't the case for a lot of people. They felt trapped in their home and it was just incredibly difficult if they didn't have a lot of these tools in place. But I just want to encourage your listeners, like your home doesn't have to look like an image out of good housekeeping to serve you and your family. Yeah, And I think that's what we need to remind ourselves on. I get like, it's so fun to watch these shows and like see the home edit and Joanna Gaines and see all these perfectly curated spaces. And it's also okay to know that your home doesn't have to look like that. Yeah. And like no homes do look like that. Exactly. Yeah. Right. This is hours of staging and I don't know. It's like Marie Kondo's home gets messy. My home gets messy, but I strive for a home that's easy to clean up and reset and easy to tidy, not always tidy. And it's just these little nuances and how we reframe things Mm -hmm. in our minds that give us grace, give us realistic expectations. Because I know you talk about this a lot. When reality and expectations don't meet, it's that inner web between that that causes guilt, shame, judgment, all these really tricky emotions that are really hard to get over. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of go with like the messy minimal thing. Like, I know I could benefit from like prettier bins in my garage, but the ones I have work. I know I could go Mm. buy drawer dividers, which are like not that cheap and they add up Mm. to like make everything accordion folded and look nice and pretty. So I could show on Instagram, hey, look at my son's pretty drawer. But instead I'm like, I don't care. His three pairs of pants can just lay flat and I don't care. (laughs) Is it functional? Does it work for you? Like these are the questions. And I love what you just said where I don't need a tidy home. Like I need an easy to tidy home. And that just like so gives me goosebumps because it's so true when I think about home organization and I think about following, you know, like you and I being in an Instagram space and I know what goes into making an image, right? Like I know what goes into photo shoots. I know what goes into content creation and curation and all of these things. And the reality is that 
that is a snapshot of a perfect moment in time. Yes. And it does not stay that way. It is not meant to stay that way. We live in our space. It cycles through all of the stages of clean, needing to be washed in the wash, need to be folded, need to be put away because it's not meant to stay, right? So there will be mess. And I think that adjusting that expectation and hearing you say that as somebody who, you know, manages clutter for a living with people and teaches them how to is really freeing because our expectation isn't to have a perfectly tidy home all of the time. I want to encourage your listeners because once you're able to like cut through so much of that clutter, this expected mess, the mess that comes from everyday life, right? The dirty dishes, the dirty laundry. I have such a new frame, like again, that reframe. I look at it so much differently now. Yeah. I mean, does it get annoying because there's always going to be dirty dishes? Do I get annoyed and huff and puff sometimes? I'm like, ugh, dirty dishes again. Of course, but on so many occasions, now I can look at those same things that I used to just look at with disdain and I can go, "Ah, you know what? This mess is a beautiful thing because these dirty dishes mean I have a family to cook for. This, Mm. I like get teared up. Like this laundry means I have kids and a partner, you know, who've supported me or, you know, and it just brings up so much gratitude and, you know, play in itself, like playing with kids and seeing them play. It's like, should be messy. And yeah, but again, it's like you have to find that happy medium that works for you. And if that's, you know, an easy to tidy home sounds better than an always tidy, like take that. And, you know, I I hope your listeners find a lot of grace and help in our conversation today. Mm -hmm. It's really freeing when you limit the amount. Like I think of this in terms of the invisible load, Mm -hmm. right? When the invisible load involves managing, let's say, a thousand items in the home instead of like 500 items or 600 items, like that is significant in terms of the weight. Like I, okay, this was maybe like first mom, first child problems. I used to like get these sets of the like magnet blocks and things like that. And I used to like count that they were all the whole set was like in the bin before putting it away. As a mom of three kids now, I will throw it in the garbage. Like I I don't even, I don't care where it is. Like if it's on the floor, chances are I'm going to throw it out, like put it where it goes, you know, but I digress. But it's just so interesting how our expectations of Mm -hmm. even being, you said, have a good enough home. Our expectations of being a good enough mother shift as we go through different stages of motherhood Mm -hmm. because there might have been a time when I could curate a playroom that was Instagrammable. As a matter of fact, I tried that for a time when I had my first kid and then my family expanded. That became unrealistic. And now the systems have had to change. And you mentioned that that I set this expectation for this cubed shelf, not rigid, Mm -hmm. but flexible to grow and evolve. Can we lean into that concept of flexibility as we're thinking about approaching our home and clutter? Yeah. And I think a lot of it boils down to, I don't think, I hope I'm not the only one like this, where I used to think kind of that all or nothing mentality. Like I'm either covered in clutter or a minimalist with one pair of shoes. (laughs) And it was really hard for me to find comfort and I don't know, like access to my, like give myself permission maybe in a way to live in that good enough space that like 
huge area that <laughs> there I see so much value in now. But yeah, I mean, family circumstances change. We move, we change jobs, we stop jobs, we virtual school, we homeschool. And I always am looking within my home with objectiveness and going, is this serving us now? Yeah. Right? Because two weeks ago, things were different. There wasn't this happening. And so I see a lot of value in the flexibility and the evolution within our homes and within that flexibility. And it's so important, so, so important to design a home that works for you now, not six years ago, not when you had one kid, now you have five, you know. Yes, I love that. It's not like a set of rigid concrete rules. And if you don't attain to them, then you're failing. Mm -hmm. It's what works for us right now. How is this, like you said, how is this serving us? So I'm thinking about you know, the listener, the mom right now who's listening in and thinking, oh, okay, I got some work to do. Like there's some things I want to tidy up or manage more effectively. Where might they start or what questions even when they walk into a space might they ask themselves? I think starting with just action steps here, surface areas are a pain point for about 100% of people. And that's a really, for a lot of people, with the exception of paperwork, you know, home offices, but like kitchen counters. If you tackle that space first, if it feels overwhelming, set a 10-minute timer. Yeah. You'd be surprised, just like we do for our kids. So many of us do it for our kids and then, well, we could benefit from a timer too. Maybe a visual timer for yourself, right? And it just helps you get started and cut through the overwhelm. And the reason I love to start with surface areas is because it's an instant facelift to our home. And when Mm -hmm. we see the change and when we feel the change, we can feel it. You know, like I hear from people all the time, I just decluttered my kitchen counter or at least put things away. Because oftentimes it's just a matter of putting things back where they belong less than it is clutter Mm -hmm. in most cases on kitchen counters, right? And they're like, I just feel so good anytime I walk in my kitchen now. I feel like at peace. I feel calmer. And I'm like, girl, that was like five or 10 minutes. That's all you spent. Yeah. So, and then they're like, yeah, let's do more. Like I'm ready to tackle the harder stuff. So surface areas is a great way. Setting a timer if you feel overwhelmed, visually focusing on one small space. If you're just looking at an entire play space and it's overwhelming, go one category at a time. Maybe you start with red Legos or magnetiles and, you know, little chunks over time, which lend themselves to habits and consistency are going to pay off more than, you know, rage decluttering or rage cleaning twice a year. Right. And like everyone's like, but I get my best work done when I'm rage cleaning. Like, yes, I get that. Like who doesn't have a good old rage clean every once in a while? But like you said, it's not really getting at the heart of, you know, the routine or the systems and the rhythms of the family, like it just piles up and then we rage clean and there's no rhythms put in place, right? I love starting with the surfaces and I really love the idea of this visual timer because as somebody who does struggle with ADHD or or somebody who might be struggling with depression or lack of motivation to get started, mm-hmm. when we can with ADHD, we might call it gamification, like turn something into a game and race the clock. Or when we can put boundaries on the amount of time we have to spend and know, I don't have to do it all. I just have to do 10 minutes. It gives us like the ability, I can do anything for five minutes, right? I can do anything Mm -hmm. for 10 minutes. It's just 10 minutes. And then I can go sit down with my real housewives and put my feet up and not have to care about the world, you know, and go to sleep. And then getting my partner involved in that, like we will 
do like these tag team 10 minutes, you know, like you would be surprised when you're racing the clock, what you can get done in a 10 or 15 minute window. So I think that's a really helpful and effective strategy, especially if you can get partner or family on board to do like a nightly reset. Ours isn't realistic nightly right now because of the kids and routine. So we definitely do that each weekend as a good reset, but you love the idea of like racing the clock or like putting a small chunk of time that feels manageable. Yeah. yeah. And and again, I'm I'm all about habits. I love habits. <laughs> and you know, we're all busy, we're all stretched. So, like you said, the 10 minute, 5 minute much more doable than a 6 hour time slot on your Saturday to go through your clothes. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> Right. Like I don't want to be scrubbing baseboards on a Saturday either. Like there's just, you know, it doesn't have to go that far. It can just be, you know, again, with some boundaries, a period of time. And then we move on and we do all the other fun living that we want to get to. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, Katie, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And I feel like I could talk with you about this all day long. And we may even bring you back to go further into (laughs) exactly. I'm sure there's so many different ways that we could take this. Where can listeners find you? Where are you hanging out online? I love Instagram. So that's my main hangout. Um, You can find me, Katie Joy Wells, just under my full name. And then I also have a podcast called The Maximized Minimalist. So I talk all about simplifying routines, systems, habits, kind of personal development, self-improvement. And I just have so much fun talking to my listeners on there. So they can pop over, listen to some episodes and find me on Instagram and Facebook too under Katie Wells. We'll make sure to link all of that in our show notes slash blog posts so that people can easily navigate and find you. And again, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Erica. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.